Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, we're back, Julie. It is July the 21st. We've been on the day on the um, the road now for 15 days. Yes, we're starting week three. And I have to say, I was just on the new travel website. Um, our team created a new website. You guys should click on it and check it out. The link is in the show description where it shows all the stops, all the places we've been and all the places we're going. And <laughs> I looked at the map and um, I looked at all the places we've already been. And when you look at it on a map, we must be insane. Yes. It does look a little wackadoodle, doesn't it? We look. You know, I can't believe all the places we've already been and all the people we've already seen. It's been a lot of fun. It's awesome. It's, it is awesome. Yes. So um, we left. Uh, you'll have to remind me because I'm the driver. I don't. I just follow what Nav and you tell Two me to do. Two weeks and one day ago. Well, right. But I'm saying tomorrow or yesterday we are in Boise. Okay. Yep. And today we are in. Kennewick, Washington, meeting with the Kenmore team, and then proceeding all the way up north to Blaine, Washington, which is in the very far northwestern corner, almost to Canada. And then we're going down to? I think we're going to hopefully see uh, our friends a little bit further south, back into Washington, and then headed to the Redwood National Park. That's right. And so I can say from having driven not too far distance from Boise to where we are, Kennewick, Washington, that that is one boring as hell drive. There's no shortage of land. <laughs> I look around, you know, at so many times I've said to myself, well, duh, there's no inventory. There's not a house to be found, <laughs> you know, but there's definitely no shortage of land. Very interesting. And you and I were talking about, um, you know, the uh, barriers that some builders have in terms of water rights and utilities. Well, we're and guessing, all the right? We don't know. But uh, I believe it. It's Congress is looking at, uh, on purpose, trying to lift some of those extra restrictions well, so that we can release some more new construction. But let's talk. I mean, yeah. just about what you just said. <clears throat> sure. So we drove through Kennewick, Washington. We're going to vi- uh, visit with our longtime coaching clients, Lan- Lance and Karen Kenmore, which are pretty much the king and queen of real estate here in Kennewick, Absolutely. Washington. We're going to their office tomorrow and checking out, um, you know, everything they've created. And, you know, it's funny, Julie, we started mm-hmm. coaching them basically when they first got into real estate. And yeah, I don't I think, know how many uh, years ago that 14 was. 14 or 15 years ago, something yeah. like that. Talk- and, you know, they, it, what's amazing about the Kenmore team is that in the land of also, <clears throat> excuse me, low inventory, they sell in Tri-Cities. So it's not just Kennewick. They have lots of opportunity. But in the land of seriously low opportunity, I'm sorry, low listing opportunity, they will do more than 400 sides this year. And I tease them all the time that they are the MLS, basically. Well, but now, some of that's new construction, but still, it's pretty amazing. Well, you also, something interesting um, that we're talking about the Kenmores is their standing listing inventory mm-hmm. is how much right now? Usually right around 15 or less with maybe up to half of that being lots new and new construction. So maybe 10 normal quote, normal residential listings at and, any given time. And I remember when I first started ca- uh, coaching Lance before Karen joined him in the business, and this mm-hmm. was forever ago. Mm-hmm. But I remember that at that time, the market was completely different. Completely there, different. There was like, ha- I, here's how much I remember. Sure. Haverford nuclear power plant cleanup was going on mm-hmm. here. And that actually, because there was all these, gov- the government was hiring all these people to come in here and clean up this nuclear power plant. There was no slowdown when the nope. rest of the country was in complete housing, housing crash mm-hmm. mode. Kennewick, Washington, 
Washington um, was not. That. They escaped. And there was actually people moving here. Houses were selling in record time. So they didn't really suffer the housing crash. No. And now they're getting, obviously, the benefit. But it is interesting it uh, is. of this housing boom. But it is interesting when you drive around. There is uh, just tons of land everywhere. That's mm -hmm. that's where you were thinking about, well, you mm -hmm. know, sure. why isn't there more new construction? You were suggesting this maybe, you know, water rights or, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what I, and just from what sure. I've been reading and paying attention, mm -hmm. if you did notice when we were coming in town, mm -hmm. the houses that were being built up on the, you know, the massive hills and whatnot mm -hmm. that were, they were huge houses. Yes. And so what that tells me is that it's not necessarily a function, well, land costs and all the rest of it, mm -hmm. but it's probably because the building cost is just gotten to the point oh, yeah. where the builders have to build mm -hmm. more expensive houses, which is what to we're talking about. To make any margin. To make enough margin, right? Because on the lesser expensive yeah. homes, because things have gotten so expensive, and uh, you know that they, they can't they can't do it. So you're just seeing right. multi million dollar properties get you know For getting sure. built if you're going to spec at all, mm -hmm. uh, you know speculate on a new construction. And then what was who were we talking with yesterday? Oh, we were talking with somebody else that was uh, a husband of one of our EXP agents that we met with yesterday mm -hmm. or the day before. I don't remember. It's all blending. And he owns a restaurant and mm -hmm. he was talking and he was talking about the fact that he's had to increase. Like I was asking him about the inflation um, on his uh, raw costs, on his on food and cups and you know, sure. all the rest of it. And he said that's not even the, the, the bad part. He said the bad part's labor. He said what well, he's having to pay for labor right now is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And I said, so how much of this cost can you pass to your customers? And he gave me for examples. He said, well, you know, this food product that we've been selling forever, you know, a milkshake or whatever the heck it was. I don't remember. But he said he's had to increase the cost by 50%. You know, he's had to increase the cost on a steak by this much because, you know, it's. He, I think he called it, he said he had a bar and grill basically or mm -hmm. something. And, and so I said, well, at what point does your customer stop coming because they can't afford to eat there anymore? And he goes, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't gotten to the point where mm -hmm. we're starting to lose business. But he said, I am worried about that. That's and right. So that actually goes to inflation, which you and I are experiencing <laughs> firsthand when we're on this uh, sure. sojourn in you know, mm -hmm. 22 different states and you know 60 days and seeing all these different markets and people. Inflation, man, it is real. It is real. And especially in the hospitality market. Yeah. Now, probably some of that is the cost of labor and and other things but i think probably the hotels may be trying to make up for some lost covid revenue in addition to all this i read somewhere yesterday that the average cost of a hotel has gone up year over year between eight and 18 percent you mean hotel room hotel room sorry yeah. um depending on where you are in the country and i i think we're probably experiencing that i mean you know, I haven't compared every single hotel year over year that we've well, checked into, but it does seem to be more. But you know, there's a lot of people listening to us right now because they're wanting us to, you know, pass along our travel experiences. Sure. And so here's the other thing we're noticing. Mm -hmm. A lot of these hotels we're going to, because we're going to like basically a new one every day. Practically, you, yeah. You're having a very, you're booking them usually mm -hmm. two or three days advance in the car while we're rolling, yeah. right? And uh, it's very hard to find rooms. And you're, you're able to, you say when you're on Travelocity or whatever and you're booking rooms, you literally see available rooms go from three to zero while in you're looking at In front of me, I, I've had yeah. the room I was trying to book disappear on me while I was mid-checkout. Like, I, I hadn't yet put in my expiration date on the card, and then it said no longer available. And you've also had it. I've heard you receive several phone calls where you did book the room, mm -hmm. and then the hotel itself called and said Travelocity was behind, yes. and we actually the, we have no rooms, That's and the right. computer was wrong. That's right. Same with uh, some of our like our Yellowstone tours and yep. the other things that we wanted to do. People are really booked. I was impressed with one. You know, we've been talking about Adam, our Yellowstone guide is that they had called me and said, nope, you know, we're totally booked on the tour. And I was disappointed. And I said, well, give me my refund back because I had booked it online. 
And whoever was running that show called me back and said, you know, I just talked to our owner and he said he doesn't like to turn business away. We've got other guides on call. We'll, we'll make it work for but you. But let's talk about that, though, mm -hmm. because the, there was a finer point to that as mm -hmm. well. And the finer point was is he doesn't want to turn business away right. because you were paying $800 for, for a, one, a day for, for three one, people. For a one-day tour. And yes. I can guarantee you that that normally is probably oh. at least half, half. that. Right. right, and they were able to raise prices because sure. you know Tim and Julie were willing we to were pay willing it. To do it. Exactly. And because there's scarcity, and because we we're going to be there for one day. Exactly. Well, so anyway. But, but so you know, both things can be happening at once. Here's a guy that's motivated to yeah. make us happy, and at the same time is monetizing the scarcity. Sure. Well, so you you know that's the reason that it is kind of an interesting time in history, and if you if you care to you know track the economic stuff, which Julie and I do, just for the sake of making sure we're protecting our you know business and protecting all of you guys, giving you guys best advice we can is that there is definitely an increase in demand the increase in demand is what we're describing that's where you know a hotel costs you know, twice as much as it normally does mm -hmm. that's increase in, uh, in demand and then when you see an increase in labor prices um, that's also because of you know it's because there's a shortage of supply of labor and the shortage of supply of labor is being um, affected by a lot of people who are getting extended unemployment and I'm not going to make this a political thing trust me we don't want to ever talk about politics on our podcast but it's fascinating all the interesting little levers that are being pushed and pulled and prodded that are causing a real interesting effect on um, you know consumer behavior mm -hmm. people's behavior is definitely well here's the other thing that you and I are sensing we've heard uh, people in these town squares and these you know places we've gone which has really been mm -hmm. fantastic being around so yeah, many you know sure. different people well you know we could talk forever about like uh, how when you go to just like Boise people looked one way and then we went to Kennewick Washington they looked another way and you go to another little town in well, between Taos, New Mexico is extra different yeah, yeah. old hippies in Taos, New yeah. Mexico but then you see these other markets too where people like you'll start seeing us <laughs> silly things but all of a sudden men in a certain market for example I noticed this will start having like the same haircut but like five hours later you never see that haircut right. women will dress different ways and not just different it's and the climates some, the climates are virtually the same yeah are some towns like everyone has a tattoo like almost yeah. their babies have tattoos you know and then you drive two or three hours away and it's not like that so yeah towns definitely have their different flavors and cultures yeah it which is. is cool you it's know totally cool. all peacefully coexist and you know if we were in europe and we had driven this far we probably would have had to learn you know 10 or 12 different languages and bunch of different street signs switch sides of the road who knows but here you know I, I think it's interesting that you can go different places and have similar stores and similar things and yet other things are so different I think it's pretty fascinating well too you mentioned stores when we were going into different grocery stores the mm -hmm. types of products that were being oh, sold yeah. were also different in different markets for sure and some of the markets that were more well, well we were just in Boise right mm -hmm. in Boise it looks to me like that's a, a city that's becoming something mm -hmm. and it's and you started there were uh, people that were exercising more but fitness they're all, more health conscious right it looks nutrition. to me like it's a market that's becoming like maybe an austin or you yeah know, it felt like a baby austin it did mm -hmm. it felt like austin felt maybe like 15 years ago yeah and so you know it's cool yeah it's, it's all fun. good yeah. So anyway, we're going to keep yep. on uh, posting our daily updates of where we're traveling to and from. And if we don't post a lot that day, it's just because we're doing something oh, no. boring, like driving from Boise to Kennewick, Washington. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, we're driving up to see uh, Glenn Sanford in what communities he live in? Uh, Blaine, Washington. Blaine, Washington. He lives right on the very, you guys should look to see where this is on a map. He lives literally right on the edge of the United States and Canada. I bet you from his backyard, 
you can, you know, basically grab some maple syrup. Right, probably. I know, and we were going to go to Canada, but the uh, Kenmore's informed us that Canada's border is closed for now, so we won't be, you know, maybe we'll just... uh, throw a rock over there and oh. say we're there but speaking of which we yeah. were also going to go up to red lodge in montana and we steered we veered yes. off that because there's fires that are happening up in um and we've seen in the montana? smoke oh, yeah. that's happening all over this part of the country even mm-hmm. when we were in yellowstone mm-hmm. you could see um, very thick smoke yeah so. we have these great binoculars and it, you you know you think it's fog and you think it's just the you know whatever and then you look through these great binoculars and you look you know miles away or however far they and you can see it's smoke and it's all mm-hmm. pouring down from montana Yes. So we did for those of you who were in Montana in that area, we didn't we had to change direction because um, we were told by many of you that that's a bad direction to go. And we really yeah. wanted to go to Red Lodge because we read, love Red, Red Lodge, Lodge Montana, um, but we can't. We will next time somehow. And yes. we'll let you guys know. We'll put it on the map. But in the interim, listen, I just wonder, we're going to get to our points we started yesterday about, um, you know, surprise housing slowdown. So we're going to talk more about that in a second. But we would love to meet with uh, some of you, all of you. Uh, and the best way to know where we're going next and the best way to communicate with us, frankly, is through Instagram. It's Tim and Julie Harris. And just find us on Instagram. We're posting videos and pictures and whatnot. And message us through Instagram. Frankly, the reason we're using Instagram is because it's easier to keep that separated uh, from, you know, just normal business things of which we're trying to do as little as possible while we're, we're on the to. road. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we are talking about surprise housing slowdown. And today is part three. Um, and Julie, you can just jump right into yes. point number six. Okay. We're going to do that. And then we're also going to roll into our discussion about what even is a balanced market, because we know that there's a whole generation of you who have not actually lived through something that sounds even close to that. Yep. So uh, surprise housing slowdown. This is our last point. If you missed out, catch up on the past two podcasts. Point number six, things to monitor, right? So how do you know whether your market is changing? And you know, it's possible that your market, if you're selling in Austin, it's going to act differently than maybe Boise or Miami. So you've got to monitor your own backyard. Point number six, monitor the new construction starts in the areas you sell. Newhomesource.com can help you with this. They cover most of the country by zip code and you can map it out. Uh, But you can also simply Google new homes in Kennewick, Washington, for example, or new homes in, type in your zip code, and then change your zip codes or your town names until you find out what's going on. Who's building what and where? It's your job to find out. Now, some MLSs list new construction, some don't. And even if your MLS does, that doesn't mean they will have all of the new construction because not all of the builders will put it in the MLS. So you still need to do your own homework regardless. Now, according to a report out this week, new housing starts are up by 19.4% year over year, which is the highest level since 2006. That's good news. When you see more homes being built, your market may be adjusting because supply is going to start to at least get closer to the demand. Does that make sense? It does. You know, it's interesting. I remember you and I were doing podcasts and writing articles about the fact that there was a um, there wasn't enough new construction to meet demand. We right. started writing those articles like mm-hmm. 2010, 2011. Yes. And back then, builders weren't building for a different set of reasons. But now it's for all the things we've talked mm-hmm. about on the podcast. But that really the best cure, the most I think realistic way that you're going to increase um, the availability of homes is going to be through new construction. There needs to yes. be because the sheer the demand is uh, the existing home inventory obviously is not enough to meet the demand of all the people that want to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And new construction solves a multitudes of problems. One of which being obviously hypothetically if someone's moving up to a new construction house for sale, they're going to sell their old house, and which that's what really is going to happen. More inventory, yeah. right? And it also, you know, I always like new construction for other reasons, just kind of selfish agent region reasons. Number one, you don't have inspection nightmares, yeah. generally speaking. 
Um, and number two, it buys your seller who, you know, is also your buyer more time to get their house on the market, you know, it eases some of that stress of, of the double move. So for those of you who are newer in the business or have just never really, you know, focused in on this, you got to understand that most new construction is not going to be in the MOS. Um, you have to go, you have to think about um, the different varieties of new construction. I'll give you, for example, when Julie and I were selling real estate, you had the big national builders like MI Homes, Dominion Homes, you know, you guys have your DR Hortons and all these big guys, right? And then you had the medium-sized builders. In our marketplace, the medium-sized builders, they might put some of their things in the MLS, but for the most part, they won't. And these were the guys that were moved, that were building in the price ranges that were usually uh, in the slightly upper end price range. Toll that were Brothers would be an example. Exactly. Well, no, Toll Brothers would as a big national. I'm talking mm -hmm. about like... Uh, you know, the, the mostly Italian names that were building in Columbus, Ohio. Right. Yeah. Those, Romanelli and Hughes. Romanelli and Hughes, for example. And those, so those guys would build. Now, you would, how do you find out about all of this? You'd have to go to the BIA, your, your local builders association. You're going to have to find out who the builders are. And the BIA usually gives not just all the contact information, but tells you how many houses they sold last year, how what many houses ranges? they spec'd on, what price ranges, mm -hmm. what markets they specialize in. And then what you need to do is get on the phone. And, and if you have, especially, it's an extra, you know, powerful, if you've got a buyer, that's looking in one of the price ranges in one of the communities where these builders build, you then can say, hey, I've got a buyer that's looking. Do you have anything that you're building? And what you will find, and this is how, you know, frankly, this is one of the best ways to find secret inventory, is you'll find a lot of the builders, not the, the big builders always have specs. The medium-sized builders have specs, but you have to call them well, and ask about them. you're assuming they know what a spec is. A spec is a basically where a builder is building a house with speculating that there's going to be a buyer that buys it. In a market like this, they're not going to put it for sale publicly. They're going to get it to the point where it's almost done, mm -hmm. where basically all the selections are done because they do not want to have to jack around with making a bunch of changes to placate a buyer. So normally what happens in a very strong seller's market like this, the specs are in, in essence done. The only thing left to do is the landscaping, and they don't even want to hear from your buyer about what the landscaping should be. Right. The builder just knows what they're going to do. They're going to build it and take it. It is what it is. And that's. But you got to call these guys. And you got to find out what they what they have that's going in the ground. Um, and sometimes you might find that the builders are actively looking for land for sale. And if you come across a land listing or something that might be you know, possibly available to subdivide and you call those medium-sized builders that are not the big builders because the medium-sized get build builders where they're always, always hungry is looking for lots to build on, either to spec mm -hmm. or to buy the land and then sell to a prospective buyer and then build a custom home on the land. And in a market like this, land is very hard to find and the big, big builders are gobbling up all the, uh, I mean, virtually everything. So if you've got something, a parcel of land that might be subdividable, you take that to your medium-sized builder and you're not just going to get, you're, you're obviously going to get a sale from selling the land, um, but you're also going to get hypothetically the sale of the listings that get built on that land. And I'll, I'll give you guys an example. Um, most of you, uh, I don't know, Julie, is it called patio homes? You're uh, all over the country. I don't think zero, so. Zero lot line homes, patio homes, um, these cluster homes. Right. There's different versions of that. It's, you know, small lots with nice houses next to each other. When Julie and I were selling real estate in the 90s into the very early 2000s, there was the big trend where we sold real estate in Columbus, Ohio, was towards these patio homes. And these patio homes were mostly smaller, zero lot line. Non, they were detached homes, but very small property, very small land. 
amounts, uh, but the houses themselves were really fancy. And what these builders were doing, and the way Julie, frankly, and I worked with these builders, is these builders were buying these houses that were built in the 50s and the 60s that maybe had two or three acre lots, and they're subdividing the snot out of those two or three acre mm-hmm. lots, and they're then building up these patio homes. And that was one of the, you know, you have to obviously, in that example, we are creating the inventory. We knew builders wanted it. Yep. Think out of the box like this, guys, and you'll create inventory, and you'll do transactions, and you'll be able to transcend the normal, you know, agent blight of uh, lack of listings. Sure. Well, there's another, there's a second way a spec home can happen. And this is why you've got to talk to all of your builders and find out what they've got coming up. It's when somebody was in contract building it and they backed out for whatever reason. They didn't get their financing. They lost their job. They didn't like the product. They had a conflict with the builder, whatever. Maybe they got relocated. They're not going to live in your town anymore. But this type of thing comes back on the market all of the time. The builder then puts it back into their inventory and turns it into a spec house. So, um, you know, back when we were selling, the builders would would send their their pet list of agents. You know, they had a spec home show up and they just back then they would fax it or email it to you and they would say, here's the deal. And sometimes there were even bonuses on those if you got it in contract that week or that month. Uh, But you would never know about it if you weren't in with the builder. Now, the secret to working with builders is you've got to be, whether it's the build, big build company and you're building, dealing with build reps, you know, on-site salespeople, or whether you're dealing directly with the builder himself, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to make sure you've got a really good relationship with them. With the big builders, there's a more of a systematic way of going about it. It's called registering your buyer. And that is essentially a form that's filled out where the buyer says, yes, I'm working with, you know, Julie, and Julie's going to be my agent. In those cases, and, I, and you, those of you who've been in the business for a while, you know how sweet these deals are. You can basically walk up. Well, so when Julie and I were selling real estate, just to make this very practical and the way we coach all of our agents to do it, if you have any uh, buyer agent staff, for example, and some of you are able to run, you know, because we coach you to run profitable teams with profitable buyer agent staff. And I'll tell you what the key is. The buyer agents themselves have to actually generate leads. They can't just wait around like hungry, pissed off birds waiting for leads to be dropped in their beaks. But one of the things that you would do is you're going to, when you get a buyer that's in the price range of prospective new construction, you have to take that buyer by all of the most likely new build reps, uh, you know, uh, models and then register that buyer because here's what happens is that buyer could go back on, you know, another day with by themselves without you and then go into contract on a house that you just, uh, on a model, uh, you know, model home um, that you know, met the build rep. You walked in there. Hey, Marcy, this is, you know, Bob and Sally. They want to check out your model. They're looking at new construction and they're just seeing what is out there. Then let the new uh, the new construction rep do their thing. You don't have to say anything. You just kind of sit back, have some coffee. They're going to go on a tour. They're going to answer questions. Bob and Sally leave with you. You go to the next one. You go to the next one. You go to the next one. A week later, you get an excited email or call from Bob and Sally. We are in con- we're in contract with that first builder that you introduced us to, but because you physically brought them there and you registered those buyers with that builder, you then are guaranteed your commission. And yes. we've and that's guys, that's one of the you know new construction commission checks are fantastic because there's nothing to do once the house is in contract. And guess what? A lot of times you don't have to compete either, which yeah. is nice. And you know, Tim, the, a lot of builders are tightening up on that and they're saying you have to be physically present on the first introduction. Oh yeah. So this is another great thing. Yeah, with yeah. the BIA guide, you have those contacts. You know whether it's gonna be through the direct through the builder, do they have a sales team, do they have a model or don't they have a model? What is the skinny? Because it's different from builder to builder. Some of them have you register online. Sometimes you've got to set up an appointment. It's, it's not 
obvious. It's not like looking at a listing in the MLS where you've got agent to agent comments saying, here's how you do things. You do have to make a little bit more of an effort to do the new construction drill. And the obvious side benefit of that is if you are helping a new uh, build rep sell a property, they're getting commission on that as well. And not to mention it's their salary uh, job. That if they have, let's say the next day, they have two buyers walk in that want to purchase a new construction house, but they've got a house to sell and they don't have an agent mm -hmm. relationship, that new build rep, you know, again, assuming you kept a good relationship with them, is going to possibly send you that uh, listing referral. And the most, I, it's very rare that you come across, especially in the big builders, big builders whose new home build reps are licensees. In other words, they're not allowed to do business outside of their particular model. They're not allowed to take resale listings, for example. They're an employee of the builder, essentially. Exa exactly. So that's, again, that is a fantastic way for you to build another, um, though albeit not predictable or duplicatable, but another uh, possible lead spoke that doesn't cost you anything. By the way, for our premier coaching members who are listening, we have a whole new construction site where we... Uh, part Section. of our website uh, where we teach you from the easiest thing to the most advanced which we just covered in about 10 minutes so we mm -hmm. just did the oh you know 35,000 flyover on that um, but we do have a big section and we talk about how to work with builders pretty regularly in our uh, Facebook live sessions. Well, so it's clear that the new builder and the new construction stuff is going to continue to surge in most major markets. Well, look, it's up 20% year, since uh, year over year, which is the highest increase since 2006. Right. Exactly. So, so how, Julie, tell the yes. listeners, what is a balanced market? Okay. Because like you TF. said earlier, most of them have never experienced a balanced market. I know. It sounds like this radical, strange thing. <laughs> so what is the definition of a balanced market? We're going to look at seven different indicators. We're only going to do the first two today so that you'll know it when you see it, or you'll at least know when you're getting closer to it. Now, here's a warning. Point number two is pretty analytical, so get your pencils sharpened. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Where are we? Currently, we have a seller's market. There is more demand than there is supply. This causes, as you well know, multiple offers over listing price sales and not enough choices for buyers. Okay, so that's what you've been experiencing for a long time for many of you, almost all of you. In a buyer's market, it's the opposite. That's what we had during the Great Recession and the housing crash from 2007 to 2012. There were uh, foreclosure bus tours because there was so much going on that was opposite of what you're experiencing now. But it is important, yeah. Julie is making a subtle point here, that if you've not, if you've only been in the business since really, say, 2009 or 2010, which is basically statistically is about all of you. We have tens of thousands of agents who listen to our podcast every single day. It's the number one listen to daily podcast in at least the United States. Now, I know statistically that, again, most of you have never sold in any market other than a hot seller's market. So when Julie says balanced market, the other side of a balanced market, if you can imagine a pendulum swinging, right, is a buyer's market. A buyer's market is something that many of you have never experienced before. When a buyer's market starts to uh, take hold, essentially everything about how you do business, essentially how you generate leads and the nature of the relationships <laughs> you have, do it completely changes. It's all opposite. It's, yeah, it's opposite, exactly. It, it would be like the Twilight Zone for them or Stranger Things for our younger crowd. It's, it's just like a totally different world. Now, in between the hot seller's market and the swing of the pendulum over the buyer's market is what we call a balanced market. Right. So we're going to define what that means. So and we're nowhere near there now, by the way. Right. We're, <laughs> we're just seeing maybe some little cracks. So what's a balanced market? Economists, NAR, and analysts all define this simply, most simply, as when supply and demand are equal. And then we're going to do seven different ways to tell when this has happened. 
All right, so first is number one, prices remain stable or grow modestly, usually in sync with inflation. Now, much of our career was like that. It, yes, houses were rising in price, but it was pretty much in step with inflation. Ranging anywhere, depending on the economist you talk to, between three and 8% per year. Not what we've seen lately, which has been between 12 and 24%, which is unprecedented increases. So point number one, prices start to stabilize. Now, that's very different than price crashing. Some of you will overreact and think that the world is coming to an end because you're only getting 10% year over year. So it's it's our belief, in the, and this is based on um, not just uh, what we want to be true, which is certainly that's an element of it, mm -hmm. but also the things we studied in other markets we've seen, like Japan, for example, where you have a lot of inflation that takes hold. And then what happens is the prices don't return to the pre-inflation uh, rates. So what we believe is going to happen is that what you're seeing is a new normal set in to housing uh, pricing. And it's going to be hopefully followed by an increase uh, to some extent in the cost, you know, in labor and, and the rest of it. But without having this be a uh, podcast about inflation, here's what I want you to have as the takeaway from my point is that the prices of homes probably will not, and I, you know, I'm hedging by saying probably, mm -hmm. probably will not decline in most major markets at all ever again. And that what you're dealing with is the resetting of housing values that's, you know, possibly based on um, as, uh, this, uh, you know, money printing frenzy that's been going on in earnest since 2008. Yeah. And so what you're seeing is inflation take hold. Inflation's obviously in real estate. You're going to see more inflation in real estate for the, at least the rest of this year, probably part of next year. And then rolling and after that, you're going to see it return to more historical norms. Um, again, you have this perfect storm of things that are happening in the market, which are causing houses to continue to inflate, increase in value, appreciate whatever words you want to use. And uh, we did a series of podcasts about this before. You can go uh, to iTunes, Stitcher, um, Amazon Play, I mean, Spotify, where our podcast is everywhere. So just listen to the podcast we did on why there is no housing crash coming. And then you'll understand that there is no housing crash coming. And what we're looking at, in essence, is the great reset of home values. Yes, a bit of an adjustment, potentially, you would call it. So point number two, in terms of explaining a balanced market, point number two, here's the warning that we may get into <laughs> the weeds on this, and you can stop me at any point. Point number two, economists agree that a six-month supply, and I know that sounds radical, a six-month <laughs> supply, what does that even mean, of homes indicates a balanced market and that when inventory grows, this is kind of, I saw a bunch of charts with like little seesaws demonstrating this, right? So that when inventory grows to more than a six-month supply, it becomes a buyer's market and less than a six-month supply, they call it a seller's market. So for all of you, you know, calculator lovers, I looked up how do you even define that, right? We were talking about absorption rate. We're talking about supply. How do you do the math on that, okay? And we've done monkey math on this before, but this this is like, you know, maybe. So so just listeners, yeah. Warning. Um, if you're regular podcast listeners, you can tell Julie's had a lot of time on the road yeah. to really drill down on Sorry details for luck. the podcast. <laughs> okay, so you may want to take a pencil out or your typing fingers. A month supply of inventory, and economists call that MSI, month supply of inventory, MSI, helps determine a buyer's, balanced, or seller's market. MSI is an estimate of how long it will take for all of the market's homes to be sold or absorbed based on how many homes are currently on the market and the rate of homes in the past that have sold. That's the absorption rate. I know this is sounding all wonkish, right? But absorption rates, what does that mean? The total of homes sold in the last year 
divided by the months in the year, which is 12. Therefore, take the amount of current inventory, take the number of homes sold in the past year, divided by 12. I'm going to do an example. Don't worry. Absorption rate is a percentage of the 12-month average sale. Got to hold that one. Uh, to the yeah. total current listing, showing the absorption percentage of the inventory. Okay. So don't have a heart attack. We're doing, you know, serious math here. Let's say that 341 homes sold over the last uh, 12 months. Okay. 341 divided by 12 is 28.4 homes sold per month. With current active inventory of, say, 476 homes, so 28.4 of 476 is 5.97% of the inventory. So the absorption rate would be 5.8% of the inventory per month. Okay. So how long will it take to sell 476 homes? By dividing 476 by that number 28.4, it would take 16 months to sell all of those homes, which would equal a buyer's market. This is the month's supply of inventory or MSI. Now that that is the you know, kind of, I would call it the advanced economist annoying way of figuring things out. But when you're, say, on a listing appointment, let's make this practical, because you and I used to do this all the time, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So and this varies from price range to price range. Let's say that your tomorrow's listing appointment is on a $350,000 standard issue house that everybody wants, right? You look it up in the MLS, and last month there were five listings for three fifty, and all of them sold and you see that all of them went over list price. That's like a one month supply, right? There were five, all five sold. There's probably more demand because you saw it all going over list, right? But tomorrow's listing appointment, let's say is on a million and a half property. And you look, and right now you have 10 active ones that you're competing with and only three sold last month. We have a totally different conversation there, don't you? Make sense? Yeah, totally. So you've got to watch these things and it's not going to be the same in every price range and every MLS well, code. Let's, let's use a practical yeah. uh, modern example. We were in Miami, right? Mm -hmm. And we were just, as we always do, uh, looking at... Play, that's our uh, last official point, by the way. Oh, I don't, but that's I, okay. I don't want to step on your last official no, no, point. That's good. We'll get to it. Go that ahead. Is, that was it. I'm saying now oh. you can talk about Miami. Well, so Miami, like in Miami is one of these you know, markets that's, uh, one of, that Julie and I pay attention to because it's a bellwether market. It gives mm -hmm. you, it's an early indicator, early warning signs uh, of what's gonna happen for the rest of the country happen in Miami. Because, and we specifically, well, when were we there, Julie, what month? In December. Okay, so in December, we were looking at the MLS and we were looking at the number of unsold condos for sale. And wow. it was similar to Manhattan, though Manhattan is finally turning a corner. Mm -hmm. And so you were seeing in some cases, like, so the days in the market, what you have to do is you have to, in markets where there's been expired, lots of expireds like in Miami, you have to go back and you have to track the, you have to add up the days in the market for all the times it's been listed, not just the last time it's been it listed. More complicated. Yeah. And you have to do a little bit of homework and mm -hmm. listing agents sometimes do clever things to try to, you know, make the days mm -hmm. in the market goes, go away. So you're going to have to be, you know, you're going to have to be really wise and how you go about this. And of course we teach you how to do this in our coaching program. But what you see in the days in the market in Miami, it's it, I've I remembered you you and I found some listings and we were able to basically um, you know we know how to do it online figure out what the original list date mm -hmm. was. There are properties that have been for sale for years. Years. Yeah. Some of them were even brand new. Right. And then now not, these were condos we're talking sure, about. Sure. Condos, towers, right? Yeah. It's just it's oversaturated. Sure. And then not even maybe. 45 minutes, maybe mm -hmm. a half hour away from where those buildings were, mm -hmm. you'd have houses that were staying on the market for like 22 seconds. Yeah, completely different. This is why we've warned you on previous podcasts. Let's say that a news report comes out saying that, you know, uh, Miami has an average sale price. You know, things are selling in 45 days or less. 
Well, unless you drill down and know that that was houses, houses, right? You might go on a condo listing appointment and say, "Well, I'd expect this to to sell in forty five days or less." And then it's going to expire on you because you only had a 60-day listing agreement and you did the mistake because you didn't do your research. You know, it's funny, too. When we were in Miami, I was uh, we were speaking to, obviously, agents. That's yep. why we were there. And we were telling them that what they should be doing now is doing what the opposite of what other people are doing. And they those agents should be going into those buildings uh, and they, you know, the condo buildings, and they should be hunting the expireds and they sure. should start to get market share when, when everyone on all the other realtors, but it's like, like what's yeah. happening in Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Manhattan is now slowly starting to turn back to a more balanced market. It's going to take years to sell off the excessive sure. inventory. Again, there was an oversaturation of new condos mm-hmm. or new townhomes and new whatever. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what's happened in Miami. And that's happened in some other markets too, in Arizona. But if you're a wise agent, you should definitely consider building a long-term spoken. And if I were in Miami, I tell you right now, there's some sweet buildings that have great views that are great sale prices. Sure. You can go in there and start calling the expireds, doing what we teach you guys to do in our coaching program. And you will start picking up some of these listings. Yes, some of them will stay on the market for maybe a long damn time. But when the market starts to turn, you're going to have a ton of inventory. And the inventory is going to be easier to get because most agents have convinced themselves that the properties will never sell. So they're not even pursuing them. Oftentimes, the smartest move is to do with the opposite of what everyone else is doing. Well, let me be a little bit agent-centric to add to your point as Mm -hmm. well. One of the issues with a hot seller's market is that you take a listing and it sells before you have a time to, to lead generate from your listing, mm-hmm. right? Which is the whole point of the magic number is you build up your listing inventory and buyers are never a problem. You start to self-generate. You get somebody that wants to buy the house. They've got a house to sell. That's your next listing. And so let's say that you do go after condos, maybe some expireds. Okay, great. It, it, if it takes 60 days to sell or even 90 days to sell, most of these guys listening are like, that would be like something I don't even understand. It could take that long but you've got to look at the silver lining. You're probably going to be the one that sells it. And while you have it for sale, you have an opportunity to provide value to the seller, to have open houses, to lead generate, to do, you know, videos about that, whatever, you know, your game du jour is. Whereas in a super hot seller's market, you didn't have time to do any of that. Well, so you just teed me up to offer mm-hmm. them the treasure map. So yes. if you guys, the real estate treasure map basically is the, your, your, it's not basically, it is your fill in the blank business and life uh, plan. The real estate, uh, the magic number that Julie just referenced, that's part of what you learn how to complete or understand as part of doing the real estate treasure map. Just text the word success to 47372. Text the word success to no. 47372. Just go ahead and do that now. And you don't just get the real estate treasure map, but you get seven, maybe even eight different books. Um, These aren't books that are for sale anywhere. These are books that we created purposely and intentionally to help you guys build your real estate businesses. And you get these for free. Just text the word success on your phone. Go ahead and do it now to 47372. And we'll text you back a link to download the books. Nothing more to it than that. And you will be offered an opportunity to speak with one of our new member coaches about our coaching program. This is the perfect time to level off for today. And tomorrow... We're hoping to have an interview uh, to share with you guys with Glenn Sanford. It'll be tomorrow Mm -hmm. or the following day. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you guys are interested in talking to Julie and I about EXP, we are formally applying for the job of being your EXP sponsor. 
And it's been great to run into all of our EXP uh, partners and all of our coaching clients on the road and getting all the messaging from all of you guys. Again, we're learning places to go and not to go based on what mm-hmm. you're telling us. There was, Like I said, we didn't go up to Montana because so many of you told us not to. I really appreciate that because we definitely were going to go. Yeah. Any other tips, please do send them to us on Instagram. Um, and our uh, it, the way to find us on Instagram is just Tim and Julie Harris. Very simple. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. And we'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.